0: Good afternoon and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half-hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the Inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tevenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Today Chris Massini presents the latest Spokane Community College Hagen Center speaker, Kevin Young. Kevin is a poet and poetry editor of The New Yorker. Spokane Symphony concertmaster Mateusz Wolski offers musical insights he has gained during the pandemic. Vern Windham and Blair Williams of Coeur The Art Spirit Gallery bring us news of unfortunate events affecting the gallery's collection. I'll chat with Rich Juan Schneider of the Giuseppe Center in Joseph, Oregon, about his journey learning about the Nez Perce and their culture. Music today is from our studio and courtesy of Eastern Washington University students. This is Northwest Arts Review.
1: For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Chris Massini. My guest today is Kevin Young, a poet, essayist, professor, editor, and museum director. Among the many hats he wears, he is the director of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture and poetry editor of The New Yorker. From 2016 to 2020, he served as the director of the New York Public Library's Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture He's the author of 13 books of poetry and prose, most recently the poetry collection Brown and the nonfiction book Bunk, The Rise of Hoaxes, Humbug, Plagiarists, Phonies, Post Facts, and Fake News. Young is the next speaker in Spokane Community College's Hagen Center for the Humanities speaker series, Diversity Dialogues, Conversations About Race and Equity. He'll be hosting virtual events on Wednesday, February 17th. Kevin Young, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks for having me. So just to start out, you sit in a really fascinating position artistically and professionally. Uh, You know, I think the journey from poet to writer and editor and university professor is pretty well-worn territory, but what led you into um, museum work?
2: Uh, I was a book lover from a young age and, you know, loved libraries where I encountered a lot of books, of course. Um, But also, uh, you know, as someone, uh, I think my friends would say I'm a bit of a collector. I have a lot of things um, that, you know, um, give me pleasure in terms of things I discovered. But again, that went back to books. As a young poet uh, learning to write, I also want to, you know, find out what the books by people I love, like Langston Hughes, actually look like in their early editions. And, you know, I just kind of haunted used bookstores and started to fall in love with that process. Uh, became a collector then uh, as part of being a professor I became a curator of a poetry library and I really found I took to that because I always was struck by what an archive can tell us and um, especially when it comes to African-American material that material is so precious certainly I couldn't have done the anthologies I've done without archives and um, you know that really fit naturally with the museum uh, which I'm now honored to lead which you know Uh, thinks a lot about the stories that uh, are part of America, which are are the African-American stories. Um, They're so central to the American experience that I, I think it was very much a natural fit.
1: I'm talking with Kevin Young. He's a poet, essayist, writer, editor, and he's the next speaker in Spokane Community College's Hagen Center for the Humanities series. In some ways, that role of editor and curator are sort of similar. You're both. You're telling a story using artifacts from other people or other times, whether that's poems or objects. So you you are the editor of a new anthology of African American poetry. So how does that work as an editor putting together a collection like that relate to your work as a curator of a history museum?
2: Well, very much. I think um, the history of African American poetry. Uh, happens to tell the story of American history. And I really wanted, in constructing the anthology, to tell a story that interrogates each part of that title, uh, Americanness, uh, african Americanness, but also what poetry itself means. And for me, starting with Phyllis Wheatley, the, a poet who wrote in enslavement, um, was named by the people who purchased her after the slave ship that brought her. I mean, you know, these are heavy things that she then managed to write about through and past. And that, I think, sets the tone for all of African-American poetry, which is a rich tradition, nearly a quarter, or actually is a quarter millennium of uh, work. And those 250 years of what I called struggle and song, I think are really important to telling the story of a people, of uh, poetry. And it felt like this was a chance to talk about this 250 year moment going from 1770 to now to think about what black poetry means, uh, what it means to the country. And, you know, um, it's been exciting to see people respond to it and see it in some ways as a history book, like you said, uh, a kind of living archive, but also the ways in which they're discovering new poets and returning to old favorites. And that's very much, what I wanted out of the experience and sound, uh, I was discovering as much as anything in that whole process.
1: Yeah, which brings me nicely to the fact that you're you're hosting this event with Spokane Community Colleges as part of their speaker series, Diversity Dialogues conversations about race and equity. And we've had a few speakers already. Um, Marlon James was one. Um, We had Dowdy Abe from Seattle, who writes about um, hip hop, particularly in the Northwest. Um, We have Tracy K. Smith in a few weeks. So I wonder what you see as your particular role in a conversation like this. What do you hope to bring with all your breadth of background to a discussion about race and equity in, in today's society?
2: Well, I I think it's, uh, that's a great question. I mean, for me, some of it, and I think this, doing the anthology of African-American poetry just helped reinforce this for me, is is the way that, you know, talking about blackness, uh, which isn't the only way to talk about race, but I think an important one, um, you know, is so central to the American story and so central to how we understand ourselves. Um, and we can 't sort of push it to the side or ignore it, um, and in fact more that it isn 't just a story of pain but also pleasure uh, of creativity of improvisation of generations of not just survival but thriving and invention um, that 's how I experienced my childhood and, and both my parents are from Louisiana and and I think we're in a way I I kind of understood it later as kind of being immigrants, to the American dream, you know, trying to discover and learn uh, even though, you know, my family had been in Louisiana, I think 250 years. Um, And so there's that kind of mix uh, that I think is part of the story of African-American history, uh, which is being part of the land, but not always recognized as even citizens. And so that kind of complexity of, of experience, I think, is one thing I'd want to help folks understand, um, but I'd also like to talk about the ways that improvisation and pleasure, and you know, the food I grew up eating, and the the stories I told uh, and heard, um, and the stories I tell now, are all related. Um, and so, how do you, it isn't just the history we've been given, but also the history we make. Um, and I think there's a chance for us all together to talk about. The future we're going to make uh, and the ways that we can understand that history as as important to talking about questions of race and equity and justice and also of making, you know, I I think above all, uh, I like to make things and I like to understand those who made their way in the world. And um, both, I think, have been enhanced for me by understanding history uh, and understanding black culture and understanding each other.
1: My guest has been Kevin Young, poet, author, editor, museum director, and host of upcoming virtual events on Wednesday, February 17th, with Spokane Community College's Hagen Center Speaker Series as part of their Diversity Dialogues, Conversations About Race and Equity, for which Spokane Public Radio is a media partner. You can find more information about those events on our website, spokanepublicradio.org, under the Events tab. Kevin Young, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a real pleasure.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: We've been gradually and cautiously restarting from the studio broadcasts and podcasts. This week, we hosted another second Tuesday piano bench visit from Eastern Washington University music students. Our great friend at Eastern, Dr. Jody Graves, always keen to showcase the significant abilities of her piano students and the other musicians with whom they collaborate, has done the hard work of coordinating these visits. We get to enjoy the fruits of their labors. Case in point, this excerpt from junior Christian Skok's performance of Claude Debussy's Ondine. The Complete Piano Bench program featuring EWU student musicians is available as a From the Studio podcast at SpokanePublicRadio.org. Joseph, Oregon, in the Wallawa Valley, where you can hear us at FM 89.3, is in the heart of Nez Perce country. Their story and culture has fascinated Rich Schneider, Library Director of the Josephi Center, for many years. This Saturday, he presents an online introduction to the Nez Perce. I caught up with him this week, and he told the story of his introduction to the Wawawa and the Nez Perce.
3: I moved here 50 years ago, and I didn't know the Nez Perce from the Navajo. 45 years ago, I opened a bookstore in Enterprise, the Book Loft, and soon became friends with Elvin Josephi. Elvin is the author of The Nez Perce Indians and the Opening of the Northwest, which basically brought the Nez Perce back to national attention in the 1960s. When the Nez Perce War happened in 1877, everybody in New York knew who the Nez Perce were. But they had been forgotten, like Indians across the country. And then, with that book in 1965 kind of opened the the gate up again so i hung out with alvin alvin helped me start fish trap we invited indians uh writers to fish trap i met a lot of nez people then Uh, i got involved with uh, extending the nez national historical park which is headquartered in spalding idaho but at the time it was only in idaho there are now sites in Oregon and Montana and, I believe, Washington. It's the only national park that's not all contiguous and not all owned by the federal government. Mm. There are state sites. There are county sites across where the Nez Trail went on their retreat up to almost to Canada. So anyway, I got involved with that. It took a push to get that extension of the, of the national park. And I just gradually kept getting more and more of the Nezfir story. About 30 years ago, there was a, a Nezfer's Cayuse man living here, and he and a local school teacher started doing a little powwow in Wallowa. That little powwow became what is now the Wallao Nesfor Homeland Project. Uh, I'm on that board still. We own 320 acres have a new longhouse, a dance arbor, uh, camping spots, and it's in the town of Wallowa. So again, working more and more with Nez Perce. And then when Alvin passed away, basically left me all of his books. Mm. And so uh, I thought I had a collection of books, and what I found out is I had a mission. My mission was to keep the Nez Perce story alive and to keep trying to facilitate Indians telling their own stories, especially in Nez but other Indians, too. That's what Elvin's life was devoted to after he found the Nez story. So I just have become what I've become by talking to people and reading and trying to keep up with it. There's a tremendous amount of literature on the Nez There's a new book or two every month, it seems, on the Nez Everybody that comes across the Nez Perce story finds some way to relate it to their own lives or their own stories. One of the recent books is called Thunder in the Mountains, written by a Civil War historian at Vanderbilt University who sees the Nez Perce War as the final stage in the Civil War and the failure of Reconstruction. Uh, It's a dual biography of General Howard and Chief Joseph. General Howard was a Civil War general was later the head of the Freedmen's Bureau and the guy who started Howard University in Washington, D.C. Anyway, that man saw the Nez Perce story. I just had a call uh, from a woman who has a, an adopted son who is Modoc Indian, and he's only in seventh grade, but he's really interested in his heritage and other, and he wants to take this Nez Perce history class. I said, sure, <laughs> and he doesn't have to pay. So, anyway, I've learned more from Alan Pinkham Sr. and Cy Wilkinson and a dozen other elders up at Lapway and elders at Colville and elders over at, uh, on the Umatilla Reservation. The Nespers are now scattered on three reservations the Colville in Washington, the um, Nespers Reservation in Idaho, and the Umatilla Reservation in Oregon. The Washington Nez first at Caldwell. That's primarily the Joseph band, who weren't allowed to return to Oregon after the war, and uh, still considered themselves to be exiled. So it's a fascinating story, and that's what I want to do with the story. Again, as I said, I'm not a historical expert, but we'll talk about what the Northwest looked like pre-contact, and we'll go through then the stages of white contact, the, the diseases, the fur trade, the missionaries, the settlers, the farmers, the loggers, and then after the return of the Nez what's the situation? Where are the Where are the Perth today? We'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on the war, but not a great deal of time. Mm-hmm. There are 122 books on the war, I think.
0: <laughs> wow.
3: <laughs> well- I, I might be exaggerating a little bit there, but it seems like they're... Uh, you know, always a new one.
0: So those who are interested who might want to partake of this class, how would they go about that?
3: Go to the website, josefi.org, and josefi is just Joseph with a Y.
0: Rich Juan Schneider's presentation is this Saturday from 930 to 1230 Pacific. Details available at josefi.org. Spokane Symphony concertmaster Mateusz Wolski returned to KPBX this week to talk about his virtual Valentine's Day performance with pianist Archie Chen. Our conversation, naturally, included the pandemic, its effect on Mateusz's musical life, and how he and fellow musicians have been able to adapt.
4: Actually, we have been doing um, quite a few recording projects with the orchestra or i did some recording projects also for uh, the ksps um, tv station so kind of occupying yourself with um you know trying to figure out how can i go somewhere uh, where i can be uh, safely distanced and separated from from the tech crew and and, and do and play some music and actually you know, um, some magical things happened recently because I actually recorded with my colleagues from the Spokane Symphony a clarinet quintet. And uh, we, we were able to, to get on the Fox stage, you know, kind of sit really, really far away from each other, uh, which makes uh, playing chamber music very, very challenging. You know, you don't realize how much you rely on your kind of senses that pick up somebody's subtle, subtle breath to line things up together, or with the corner of your eye, you can see the movement. Now you're masked, and you, some of your colleagues sit, sit like 18 feet from you. Mm-hmm. So so all of a sudden, we, you're just uh, in a very, very different uh, environment, so to speak. It's hard to hear. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's like, I feel like all of us that are doing this kind of projects, we are leveling up our new skills, because um, on the one hand, you have this whole idea that yeah, you cannot really hear, you cannot really see your 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 friends the the normal the way you normally would. Then on top of that, you add the whole pressure of okay, I'm not really playing a performance, I'm playing something that is caught on tape, and whatever imperfections might make it there, it stays there forever. And to shake that feeling, uh, it's really challenging. It takes practice because you know we all. Love, we play music to be in a moment, uh, and, and when you're very self-aware, it's, it's, it's hard to do. And so it, it takes, I would say it probably takes about 20 minutes, that's my science at this point. If I'm in a session for about 20 minutes and starting to play, you know, roughly in that time I start to forget that there's all this you know, recording and actually I start mm-hmm. to play music. But, that is, but that, that's really challenging. Again, the the orchestra is slowly starting to come out of the hibernation and and we do uh, projects where we kind of test what we can do, how we can space and distance. You know, the the other challenge is is that um, there's very limited time that we can actually be on stage to rehearse or record. Uh, Our typical uh, rehearsal, just to give you an example, in the past would be we get on the stage and for an hour and fifteen minutes we can... Uh, rehearse, and then we, if we play a concert, I think we can go like 90 minutes if there's a very long piece. But now, uh, especially if you play with the wind instruments, the regulation is you have to play for. Th- you can play up to 30 minutes, and then you have to have a 30-minute break for the air in the uh, in the theater to essentially cycle out. So, you know, we have to assume somebody somebody has the bug. And, and nobody else wants to catch it. So, so this is the way how to mitigate that. But, that. but as I told you earlier, when you have this whole concept of, okay, the mics are on, I'm recording, and you only have 30 minutes to record, but the, you really start to get into playing music in about 20 minute mark, then that leaves you with about 10 minutes of like <laughs> good playing. And, uh, and then, you know, so that makes it, again, it makes it incredibly challenging but, uh, but, you know, we're musicians, we're adapting uh, mm-hmm. as quickly as we can. And, and actually, I did have uh, already a number of situations where we would record and then all of a sudden something happens. And even you have those big distances for us, but you feel connected with your colleagues and you feel like the magic is back. And, and, and that feeling, uh, yeah, it's something that, you know, I've been missing so, so much. I didn't realize I was talking with my wife um, the other day that, you know, there is a routine of going to the, uh, to the Fox and playing a concert and getting this tremendous uh, shot of adrenaline before the performance. And then when you do a good job, there's this high that, that you do. And, and, and I'm conditioned f- with that for, you know, last 20 years or so, like pretty much every weekend experience that. And you, when you take it away from me, you know, I'm milling around the house, doing house projects and stuff, and I feel like something is just missing. It's it's not there. And I'm like, what is it? You know, like the world is off. Besides all the obvious stuff. So yeah, so 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 that that kind of uh, yeah. I mean, we we're all kind of upside down these days. So, but for me, that realization really kind of hit me a few weeks ago.
0: Information on Mateusz Wolski's and Archie Chen's Valentine's Day Serenade is available at SpokaneSymphony.org. The Art Spirit Gallery in Coeur has long been a North Idaho and, indeed, Inland Northwest treasure house. Sadly, the gallery and its extensive collection of art suffered a very damaging water leak January 31st. Vern Wyndham asked Gallery Director Blair Williams what she knew at this point about the damage.
5: We don't know yet, um, except to just know that um, we will be closed at least all of February and probably um, part of March, uh, just to, to get through all of this. But we've been very fortunate in the whole ordeal so far. We have an awesome team, and uh, nobody was harmed, it happened during our slow season, and you know we will get through this.
3: What do you know, uh, if anything, about the amount of damage to the amazing collection you have in your basement?
5: <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, well, I can't answer that definitively. Uh, just this morning at 8 a.m., we have begun working with an awesome team out of um, Oregon that's been hired by the insurance company to begin assessment, and they are literally—we've Close to 2,000 works, and probably 1,700 pieces of those were in the basement at the time. And uh, so they are just painstakingly going through them all. And those that uh, have damage, they are cataloging it. And I hope to have a, a fuller answer to that by the end of this week.
3: And then in the meantime, you at least have something up in Spokane.
5: Yeah, you know, I mean, again, one of those wonderful blessings. This is our seventh year in a row, or possibly our eighth, actually, that we have always hung a show for Barrister the month of February. And so when this all happened, we, you know, of course, were preparing to hang our new February show probably day two, day three, when we realized the extent of the damage and realized that we would not be able to be open in February. We said, aha, We'll just move our February show, I suppose, to Barrister. So, again, another blessing, you know? We're kind of not having to miss a beat in that sense. We'll um, have to wait and see how March comes out.
3: <laughs> sure, of course. Wow, well, what a, what a what an amazing thing and what a difficult thing, but you're at least sounding like you're bearing up okay under it.
5: Thank you, thank you. You know you get two choices, right? <laughs> so we've got our head down and our heart full is what we're saying.
0: Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevinen. Help today came from Chris Massini and Vern Windham. We're grateful as well for the contributions of Kevin Young, Mateusz Wolski, Rich Schneider, and Blair Williams. Taking us out is EWU student pianist Carly Baer with music of Johannes Brahms. Don't forget to check out both my complete conversation with Mateusz Wolski and the full piano bench with EWU students at spokanepublicradio.org. Please do join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review.